Hey church, well this is fun, a bit of an experiment this summer. Basically what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna have two of the next four Sundays with, with, a, with live preaching, people uh, from here, part of our church, and then two Sundays where I'm gonna be teaching via video and you're thinking, no, why would you do that? Why would you, put, we thought we were gonna get a break from you over the next several weeks. Uh, no, sorry, there's, there's two big whys behind what we're doing here with, with this uh, video experiment. The first why is because, as you've noticed, our church has been in a, in a rapid, expanding era. We, we've been multiplying. We've started Southside. We're going to be starting Royston. Um, and, and as I look ahead in the future, we're starting to reach my own personal capacities when, as things continue to expand. And, and so we want to just do an experiment to see if there is any receptivity at all when it comes to video teaching, when it comes to um, something like this. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. That's the first main reason. The second main reason why we're, we're doing this is because someday, and I've been saying this for years, someday I've been hoping to take a sabbatical. And, and I just wanted to know in advance if there is any, um, any good reason to record a few messages to, to show up from time to time during a potential sabbatical so that although I'd be away, I'd still be able to, to teach from, from time to time. So those are two of the big whys. Um, it, it, I want to hear your feedback on, on how this goes, but I don't want to hear it today. I, I want to hear it in a month from now. After, after kind of the dust settles and we're just like, okay, that, that worked or that was okay from time to time. Anyways, that's, that's part of the experiment of what's going on this summer. Today, starting today, starting now, I am in, I'm in Seattle. I am at Lakeside Bible Camp uh, at Woodby Island. And I am going to, between now and Friday, be teaching uh, 11 messages uh, from the Hannah, Samuel, and Saul series. And, and it's going to be a big, intense week for me. I find, historically, preaching at, at Lakeside to be incredibly spiritually challenging. The spiritual dynamic there, I find it nearly crushing. There's been times it's just been so overwhelming. And yet also uh, seeing amazing breakthroughs. So pray for me this week. I am in the midst of a very challenging week. I'm launching into a challenging week. I'd really appreciate your prayers as I'm, as I'm uh, here in Seattle. Okay. Today, today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the Pharisees. I want to talk about the Pharisees. See, you get to the end of the Old Testament and, and they're not mentioned. You, you don't even hear, they don't even exist yet. And so you hear nothing about them and then you turn the page to, to the New Testament and, and the Pharisees, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're playing this huge role in the nation. They're one of the major groups that Jesus is, is interacting with and, and having conflict with. Probably mostly when we, when we think about the Pharisees, we, we think about how hostile they are to Jesus. Uh, like in Luke chapter 6, we see the Pharisees, they're, they're watching Jesus closely. They're watching him closely to see if he is going to heal uh, on the Sabbath day because they're looking for a way to bring a charge against him. That's what, they're, that's what they're trying to do. Uh, they are intentionally watching him to bring a charge against him. That's what the Pharisees are doing to Jesus. You see also in, in Luke chapter 11 how the Pharisees are opposing Jesus fiercely. 
They're opposing him fiercely. Or in John chapter 11, when, when the, Pharisees, in John 11, the Pharisees convene the Sanhedrin, they're the ones that bring all the groups together, the leadership of the nation together, to ask the question, what are we going to do about Jesus? And that's at the beginning of this week. And, and by, they, they brought them together. And at the outflow of that meeting leads to the arrest and execution of Jesus later that week. It's the Pharisees that brought that together and called for, for this meeting. It's, it's also, interestingly enough, the Pharisees, and I hadn't even really spotted this before, but the Pharisees, or some of them, are a part of the mob that goes to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's, there's soldiers there, but also some Pharisees are there in the Garden to arrest Jesus. These guys, all through the, the, the Gospels, come across as the enemies of Jesus. It's the enemies, the adversaries of Jesus. I mean, there, there are a few exp, uh, exceptions, such as like Nicodemus. Nicodemus is an exception, but, but, but mostly... Mostly, Jesus is blasting the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, and the Pharisees are trying to discredit Jesus, trying to tear him down, and ultimately, they, they, they see that he is crucified and killed. So that's the big picture of what we see in the New Testament, or in the Gospels specifically, when we're looking at the Pharisees. But then... We read in Luke chapter 7, we, we read a very intriguing comment about the Pharisees. And it takes place in this parenthetical statement that Luke makes, kind of an aside, an aside. And, and this is this intriguing statement that Luke makes about the Pharisees, a statement that gets me thinking. He says this in Luke chapter 7, verse 29 and 30. And when all the people including the tax collectors heard this they acknowledged that God's way God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism but here's the bit that we're looking at but since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him by John the Baptist they rejected, I'm going to say that again, they rejected, the Pharisees, the plan of God for themselves. I'm going to read that one. The Pharisees, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. And when I read this, I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is this? What, wait a minute. God had a plan. God had a plan for the existence of these Pharisees that they rejected. The Pharisees rejected the plan of God for themselves. Now, now this just gets me thinking. This gets me thinking, okay, who, who are these guys? I mean, the, the, the bit that we're seeing in the New Testament must not be the whole story here. Must not be, who are they? Who were they supposed to be? Who, what, what is this plan? What is this plan that, that they rejected being a part of? Like, who are these guys? The, the, the Pharisees, the Pharisees had existed for a reason, and, and I'm not sure that I can, I can fully answer this last question, what is the plan of God that they rejected, but I think we can make a pretty good guess if we zoom back a little bit, get to understand their story and who they are, and go from there. I think you'll find the story of the Pharisees before uh, before uh, the, the, the gospels uh, in, intriguing 
And, create, and this is a learning day. This is a learning day. And I think one of my hopes for today is that this will help you as you read the New Testament from here on out. Like, you, you, you'll, you'll now start reading the New Testament with a deeper understanding of, of who these, these Pharisees are a, a, as a group, a, as a movement, big picture. And, and so as you, you read them, there's going to be a little bit more depth to your understanding. That's, learning is one of my hopes for today. All right, let's start with a history lesson. I love history. Let's start with a history lesson. Um, we get to the end of the Old Testament, as you're going to the Old Testament, and Persia is in charge of, of the nation. The church, Persia is over the, the land of Israel. And what happened was, is you remember Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, um, that's the Daniel era, the Daniel era, Nebuchadnezzar, they, they take over the land of Israel in 605 BC, and Babylon is, is over Israel for for a while until the year 539 BC. And that's, and that's the day that Babylon um, is, is overthrown. 539 BC, that's, uh, we read about that with the handwriting on the wall. Belshazzar is the, is the king of Babylon at that moment, and then he finds out that very night um, they're, they're going to be taken over. Well, that very night it does happen. Darius the Mede invades Babylon, and Cyrus, the, the king of Persia, uh, becomes over the, the people of Israel and, and over the, the domain of where they live. So, so that goes on. After 539 BC, Persia's in charge. That's where the Old Testament ends. And that continues until Alexander, until Alexander the Great. And Alexander uh, sweeps in and, and he takes over Israel and wipes out Persian control of the east. Now, as a side note, apparently Alexander didn't conquer Jerusalem, didn't invade Jerusalem. He didn't need to. When Alexander was approaching Jerusalem, uh, apparently they threw open the gates, the high priest and the priesthood march out with arms wide open. Persia had been in control. They warmly welcomed in Alexander. They opened up the scroll, the book of Daniel. They opened up the scroll and they showed him Daniel chapter 8 and said, this is you. And Daniel chapter 8 is get this flying unicorn goat and, and that goes and smashes this two-horned uh, ram and, 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 and they were like, no, you're the one that God has spoken about that's going to come and, and wipe out Persia. And so they welcomed him in. They encouraged, they encouraged Alexander. That, that's free. Alexander takes over and he in his administration now is over the land of Israel. But he doesn't live very long and he dies in 323 B.C. In 323 BC, his empire is divided. It's divided into four parts, four generals. Again, also, you can see that that was prophesied in, in Daniel chapter 8. And the land of Israel falls mostly under the, the Ptolemies of Egypt. Mostly under the Ptolemies of Egypt for, for, for a long time. Briefly, at the very end of this era, um, the, Selu the Seleucids of, of Syria, they, they take over uh, leadership of the land of Israel, but that's just for about a generation. It's not very long. For about 170 years, though, these, the, the, the Ptolemies mostly, and then the Seleucids at the end, they're overseeing the nation. And then this is where it gets significant specifically when it comes to the Pharisees. This is the moment where they become who they, they, they start to become. What happened is, is, is the second king of the Seleucids empire that was over Israel, over the nation, was evil. He was evil, 
evil, evil, this God-hating king of this lucid, and his name is Antiochus Epiphanes. I can't even say it without gritting my teeth. Antiochus Epiphanes, and he became king at 175 BC, and during his reign, he was probably the most evil king that was ever over the, the, the nation of Israel. In one moment, he just slaughtered 40,000 Jews because uh, he was upset, and then he sent another 40,000 into multi-generational permanent slavery. 40,000 exterminated, 40,000 into slavery. The most evil thing that he did was he outlawed the worship of Yahweh, God of the Bible. He completely outlawed it. He banned it. He banned the, the scriptures. He forbid everything. They, they started burning scrolls. They, they outlawed the traditions of following the God of the Bible. And, and, and what Antiochus did is he, he placed this huge all, uh, idol in the temple, this idol of Zeus in the temple. He, he rededicated God's temple to Zeus and he made them sacrifice pigs on the altar, these, these unclean animals, his pigs on the altar. And, and it was just, it was the most horrific, horrific moment ever. And they just started, he just started slaughtering all the priests of God with one exception. If the priest would sacrifice to Zeus instead of the God of the Bible, then he would let the priests continue. And he just, it, this was just going on and it just, just horrific stuff. And it's during this moment, a rural priest, country bumpkin, a rural priest named Mattathias stepped up. This rural priest, he had five sons, and he was watching one day, he was watching a, a, another one of his fellow priests trying to save his own skin and stepping forward to offer incense to Zeus. And he saw this happening. And in Mattathias' zeal for God in the year 167 BC, he, he, he said no. And he stepped forward and he slaughtered, he killed that priest who was about to sacrifice to Zeus. He's like, we are not doing this. This is over. This is not happening. And Mattathias, in that moment, started this huge rebellion against Antiochus uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, uh, Mattathias didn't live very long. He died within the next year during that war. And so his son Judas, Judas Maccabee, he took over the army and he led it to victory in, in, in a, just over a year. In 166 BC, he had, he had completely won the freedom of the nations. There, 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 was, there was several battles. It wasn't just one battle. But then at the end of that year, in 166 BC, after achieving this victory, Judas and the army marched into Jerusalem. They destroyed the idol of Zeus in their zeal and fire for God. They cleansed the temple. They re rededicated, they re-anointed it. They, they, they repurified the temple of God and they, they rededicated it back to Yahweh, the God of the Bible, removing everything that had been profaned. That's... Um, that's what Hanukkah is. That's Hanukkah. That's the celebration of Hanukkah, remembering the, this, this rededication in, in 166 BC. Well, at this moment, at this time, once they've, once they've re-cleansed the temple, another one of Mattathias' sons becomes the high priest of the nation. His name is, is Jonathan. Judas continues to lead the, the army, but Jonathan becomes the, the high priest. He's the youngest of them all. 
And two significant things happen when, when Jonathan becomes high priest. Firstly, from the, since the time of Nebuchadnezzar, hundreds of years earlier, this is now the first time the Jewish people were an independent nation again. It hadn't been for centuries. This is the first time that, they, that they're an independent of any foreign rule. Pretty significant. The second thing that happened is, is the leader of the nation was simultaneously also the high priest. There was a mixing of the political leadership of the nation and the spiritual leadership of the nation and that that becomes a major issue later on that combining of the the you know the kingship and the priesthood obviously uh, obviously this this high priest was not in the line of david that becomes a point of contention but well but the, the maccabees they are fired up about god they are they are so um zealous for god they're they're they, them and the, and those that ha, were following them and were, were helping them as, as these freedom fighters they, they're 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 dedicated to worshiping god only god only sadly this doesn't last very long and this zealous return to God, it, it ends at the death of Jonathan, just that, that first high priest. In 142 BC, uh, his last, he, he dies, and his, his brother Simon, Simon Maccabee, becomes, becomes the high priest. And, and, basically, and basically, Simon starts re-paganizing the priesthood. Starts mixing Greek stuff and bible stuff starts moving away from just the the purity and the 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 zeal of god just god and god's word and he starts mixing it with just just everyday stuff now the the sadducees the, the, the temple was still about god the temple was still about god but the priesthood became much more greek much more non-jewish it's in the context of these events here that's going on where the Pharisees and also consequently the Sadducees where they come to the forefront this is where this is their moment in, in this story that I have told you where they're rising into their places see the Sadducees were, were, the, were mostly the priests they were the priests of the temple they were the wealthy people they were the aristocratic people they were very secularized they were, they were very uh, secularized, at least from Simon onwards, they're, they're very secularized uh, as a priesthood. The, the, the Sadducees, they only cared about the first five books of the Bible. They, they ignored all the rest of them, they, and they wouldn't accept anything else, just, just the five, first five books in the Bible. And, and then as we see in the New Testament, even in those first five books, they don't accept everything. So they don't believe in the existence of angels, although angels show up. They don't, they don't believe in life after death. They, they don't believe in resurrection. We see those things in the New Testament. But this, the Sadducees have become very, very secularized. But they ran the temple. And they had that, the, they were in charge of the offerings and the sacrifices. And the leader of the Sadducees, the high priest, had all the political power and the, 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 the power of, of being the high priest. Now the Pharisees, on the other hand, the Pharisees, on the other hand, they were considered, and you have to understand this, the Pharisees were considered the spiritual heroes of the nation. They were the spiritual heroes of the nation. They were right at the heart of the Maccabee revolt. They were the freedom fighters. 
They were the ones working with Judas and, and Jonathan. They were the freedom fighters with Mattathias that, that, were, that were stepping up and they were, they were going to war, bringing out freedom. Their rally cry, these Pharisees, these freedom fighters, their rally cry was never again. Never again will we worship false gods. Never again will we, will we succumb to the, the cultures around us. We are going to be separate to God. We are going to be God's people. We're going to be a holy people and we will give our lives to fight against anything that would would cause us to compromise definitely Zeus and the worship of Zeus we will give our lives we will gladly die for this we will sacrifice our ourselves never again in fact the word Pharisee means separate we, we will we, we are going to be separate to God we're going to be separate to God a holy people with no compromise with no compromise the, 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 we are not going to be secular we're going to be a holy people the Pharisees, they believed everything in the Old Testament. They believed it, plus they believed in the oral traditions. Now, you might be like, oh, oral traditions, that's bad stuff. Actually, so for example, Moses writes eye for eye, right? If, 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 if someone, you know, causes you to lose your right eye, then, then the punishment is for that other p- person to lose their right eye. Well, the Pharisees, they followed the oral traditions, um, probably thankfully for most people who would damage somebody's eye and they allowed for a fiscal compensation to be made a money uh, compensation to be made instead of actually gouging out the eye why am I acting this out (laughs) instead of gouging out the eye uh, of someone who had who had um, hurt somebody else's eye they, they, they were a little bit more gracious that way. We don't think of them that way, but, but by following the oral traditions, they, they, had a, they had a little bit of grace built in. Uh, okay, so they're following the oral traditions as well, and, and the Pharisees, what you gotta understand about them is they have this fierce, this fierce passion, this fierce passion for the study of the Bible, and they viewed the study of the Bible as the highest act of worship as the highest act of worship. More important than the burnt offerings, more important than than the sacrifices done by the Sadducees in the temple. You know, the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it talks, uh, God makes some comments from time to time about the worthlessness of sacrifices without obedience. And so they kind of cling on to these ideas of, of, of of the worthlessness of sacrifice if, if we don't know God's word, if we don't obey God's word. And they, they, they thought of God's word and the study of God's word as more about salvation than those, than those temple um, sacrifices. Jesus, he comments about this. He comments about this in John chapter 5 when he says, you pour over the scriptures. He's talking to the Pharisees. He says, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about me Uh, but that bit uh, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them in the studying of the scriptures so the study of the bible is it's this big deal it's it's more of a big deal to them than than all the temple stuff that they didn't ignore that uh but they, they didn't invent this, the concept of the, the synagogues, but that's ultimately what they cultivated. Instead of being the people about the temple, they were being the people of the synagogues, and they established local learning houses and worship houses in, in, the, in the towns and cities all throughout the land so that they, can, so they could teach 
They could teach the whole nation about the scriptures, the word of God uh, for, for, for salvation. Now, they didn't invent the synagogues. That was invented in, in Babylon in Nebuchadnezzar's day because in, in that day, there was a crisis. I mean, think about this for a second. In Nebuchadnezzar's day, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple of God, destroyed the altar of God. It was no longer possible, nor would it be for about 100 years, for there to be any burnt offerings. Or no, no more sacrifices. And so the people in, in, in Babylon, they had a theological crisis. They had a theological crisis because according to the Bible, if you're going to be forgiven by God, then you need to bring your offerings to the temple. Or the tabernacle. You have to bring your offerings to the, to the place that God has. But, but that's all been destroyed. And, and there's nothing there. There's no more altar. So in, in, in Babylon, they came up with a solution that said the study of Scripture and the obedience and study of Scripture uh, would also be sufficient for grace and salvation. Especially when blood sacrifices were not an option. So with this thinking... You've got the Pharisees, they've, start, they've got these synagogues everywhere in the nation, and they've got these places where anybody can come and, and study the Bible, get to know about God. This allows their influence to go up in the nation, and the Sadducees' influence to go down. Uh, down. The Sadducees sat in Aaron's seat. That, they had Aaron's authority, the high priest's authority. Okay, technically, not really Aaron. Technically, they, they would say it was Zadok's seat Zadok was the high priest in Solomon's day so you got you got the Sadducees sitting in Zadok's seat or Aaron's seat the Pharisees were considered sitting in Moses's seat so the Sadducees had the temple but but in every synagogue there was Moses's seat there was actually a seat that was Moses's seat where the Pharisees sat Jesus comments about this and, and, and how, how the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat but don't do what they say because they don't do what they say. Don't do, sorry, do what they say, backwards. They sit in Moses' seat, so do what they say but don't do, do what they do. They sit in Moses' seat. Uh, there was only about 6,000 Pharisees at one time and they were again the esteemed heroes of the nation. You've got to grasp this. They're the heroes of the nation. They were middle class they were everyday people who had just radically devoted themselves to, to the study and the application of the whole Bible, of the whole Old Testament. They refused to compromise. They refused to walk in disobedience. Uh, they refused to become secular. The Pharisees are genuinely amazing. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees you get this a little bit in the New Testament, but not as strongly as, as it truly was. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they did not like each other. They hated each other. They hated extreme hatred for each other because the Sadducees, they ruled from the temple. The Pharisees, though, they had the heart and the respect of the people. They had the heart. They were, they were the heroes of the nation. They were the, they were the teachers of the everyday person. The Sadducees, they were getting so Greek, so pagan, so, so, so culturally not Jewish, but the Pharisees, they'd refused to compromise. The Pharisees were not okay with the high priest. Specifically, they, they, were, they, were, they were fiercely opposed to the high priest having the political power of the nation because that's supposed to be David's descendants. 
David's descendants are supposed to be the political leaders and, and, not, and not the high priest. And this became such a hot deal. This was such an anger point. I am not joking. Civil war broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The whole nation got in a civil war. And this civil war, it wasn't just for like a year or, or several years. From about 100 BC to about 63, almost 40 years civil war broke out because the, of the conflict between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They, they hated each other. And the only reason that it ended is because the high priest invited Rome to come and help them out in 63 AD. The high priest invited Rome. Rome shows up, stops the civil war, and also stops Jewish independence from, from then on. There's, there's, no more, there's no more independence. So that's the background that we, we get to when we dive into the New Testament. That, that, that's, that, that's where Jesus is born into this situation. A, a Greek, a secularized Sadducees leading the temple, a synagogue system led by the Pharisees that was focused on learning and studying and obeying uh, the word of God. And, and as Jesus grows up, he calls his disciples. And he starts teaching them about the kingdom of God. And, and his popularity so wildly upsets the leaders of the nation that somehow these two groups who despise each other find themselves on the same side trying to put an end to this guy named Jesus. The Sadducees are, are, are worried about him becoming, becoming king in the line of David. That, that, is, that is pushing their fear buttons. He, he is claiming to be the, 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 the leader in the, in the line of David, the king in the line of David. Sadducees are, are terrified of this and, and this idea of losing the political power of the high priesthood. The Sadducees have lived on that. They've clinged on that. they fought wars over this and now Jesus is claiming to be in the line of David. And in fact, if you look at John chapter 19, it's the high priest who goes to Pilate to change the wording on the sign on the cross. It's pushing his button. Pilate had written on the cross, King of the Jews, the high priest. Oh man, that is his button. And so the high priest said, no, 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 no. Why don't you write on it? Write on it and said, he said, I am the king of the Jews. That's, that's the Sadducees' button right, right on their button. Now, the Pharisees, they're not worried about that. They're worried about the influence that Jesus has over the common people. That had been their domain. The, 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 the influence he has on the common people, the impact that Jesus is having on, on the synagogues. Jesus is making them look, look stupid in the eyes of the people. And the whole nation seems to be running to Jesus instead of them. Instead of them. And these poor Pharisees, they're, they're, they're worried. This is a major loss of influence. They're losing the respect of, of the nation. And this guy, Jesus, is discrediting them. He's totally undermining their reputation as heroes and, and Bible people, the spiritual heroes of the nation. He's undermining that. Jesus says things like this in Matthew. He says in Matthew 23, he, Jesus spoke to the crowds. He is not just saying this uh, secretly. When he's speaking against the Pharisees, he's saying it publicly. He spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. 
the scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Oh, yeah, yeah, we talked about that. Therefore, do what they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and they put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Later in verse 13, Jesus says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You lock up the kingdom of heaven from people. And for you don't go in and you don't allow those entering to go in. Verse 15, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make one proselyte and when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. The whole chapter is Jesus blasting to bits the reputation and honor that these Pharisees had enjoyed for almost 200 years, that the reputation they needed from the people to stay in power. Jesus came to establish a new kingdom. Jesus came to establish a new kingdom, not one ruled by the Pharisees, not one ruled by the Sadducees, one ruled by him. Jesus, King of kings, son of David, son of God, a kingdom ruled by him, the promised Messiah. And, and yet when these other groups, when their power was at risk by this miracle worker, this teacher, the true heir to the son of David, to the throne of David, as their power and, and reputations are crumbling in the eyes of the nation, according to John chapter 18, they go out and they arrest Jesus. They say enough is enough. And then because of envy of Jesus who, who was paraded into Jerusalem to the words of the common people saying, Hosanna, save us now. Hosanna, which means save us now. Hosanna to the son of David. They, they have this guy arrested just days later. And as I said before in John chapter 18, uh, it becomes really clear in that chapter that the Sadducees sent their troops to go arrest Jesus, but Pharisees went themselves to the garden, were a part of that mob on that night of his arrest. Even Pilate, it's so obvious what's going on. Even Pilate, even Pilate knows what's going on and it says in, in Matthew 27 verse 18 that, that Pilate knew that it was out of envy from both the Sadducees and the Pharisees, it was out of envy that, that they handed over Jesus to be killed. It's just, what a mess. What a mess. Now as I read from Luke chapter 7, at the beginning of this message in the, in the rejection and crucifixion of, of Jesus, uh, the Pharisees rejected God's plans for them. God, they rejected God's plans for themselves, his purposes for themselves. So I guess the, the question is, what was God's plan? What was God's plan that, that, they, they, rejected, uh, that they rejected? Well, here, here's my best guess. Here's my best guess. The, these guys, the Pharisees, knew their Bibles. They, they had it mostly memorized, uh, mostly word for word. They knew their Bibles. They also had the synagogue system and structure all throughout the nation as, uh, as at their disposal. 
They sat in Moses' seat and Moses' whose life and message was all pointing to Jesus. We just read that. Moses wrote about me, says Jesus. Their seat is supposed to be pointing to, to Jesus. I believe that God's ideal plan which Luke mentions and which he references in, in Luke chapter 7 was to, for them to be about what Moses foretold, the announcing of the prophet like him or the one greater than him that was to come. That one that they had to listen to. That, 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 they would, that they would go to him, that, they would, that the Pharisees would point out Jesus to the nation. Here is the one we've been waiting for, and, and at, from that Moses-like position, believe in him, and then throughout the synagogues that they were leading, teach the nation how to see that Moses, what Moses was writing was actually about Jesus. They were the ones perfectly po- poised in the, in the, in the, spiritual descendant I guess of Moses to be the ones to point out that Jesus is the one we've been waiting for that Moses wrote about Jesus could have still been if you're like well, wait, wait, Jesus couldn't have been crucified with no no Jesus could have been crucified there's, there's lots of ways for, uh, Jesus could have been crucified by the high priest the Sadducees they could have done the work the, we read about the Herodians there's several groups going around there, there's lots of people uh, the Romans or whatever it didn't need to be the pharisees and the sadducees it didn't need to be that way technically i wouldn't normally think this if it wasn't for luke chapter 7 hinting that god had a different plan than what actually happened his ideal plan for them was a little bit different well, that's my best guess but they missed that they missed that and instead they go from spiritual heroes genuine spiritual heroes of the nation freedom fighters away from secularizing and all that to become the strongest vocal enemy of Jesus calling for his death mocking him on the cross what a horrific crash for these people for this group for being such so genuinely godly, a, a, a godly, godly people, heroes, to being people who, who reject and kill the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's the tragedy of the Pharisees. But that's not exactly where the story of the Pharisees ends. What happens to them after the Gospels? Well, some of them continue on, um, continue on and on and on and on. But some of the others, some of the Pharisees get grace. Some of the others, some of the Pharisees turn to Jesus and find salvation. And I think this is one of the most powerful things about the Pharisee story. I, it, it's, it's, it's not your horrible failures that define you. It's not your horrible failures that define you. It's what you do in that moment. Do you turn to Jesus or do you just keep on your way? And, and these, these Pharisees, some of them turn to Jesus even after this most horrible of failures. And, and I love this. You're reading along in the book of Acts 
you're reading along in the book of Acts, you come to Acts chapter 15, and you're just kind of reading along, and you see this. Paul is there, and there's this council about to happen in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 4, and it says, when they arrived at Jerusalem, Paul and friends, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the, and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers... Saying that again, some of the believers from the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, okay, whoa, I love that verse. I love that verse. I find that to be some of the most wonderful, powerful gospel words in the Bible. Some of the believers from the party of the Pharisees what happened to to the Pharisees? Well, a good number of them repented. They, they, They turned to Jesus. They believed in him. They were forgiven and saved. And friends, that's the incredible gospel right there. In visible form, the Pharisees who set out to discredit Jesus, to set out to murder Jesus, who set out to call for his execution, found themselves forgiven and saved by the one that they rejected. If the Pharisees, who literally were the ones who were there to arrest Jesus, who were there crying out, crucify him, crucify him, who were there at the cross mocking him, taunting him on the cross as he bled and died. If the Pharisees can be forgiven by this same Jesus and receive grace, then anybody can then anybody can, then you definitely can. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done. I don't care why you think Jesus wouldn't accept you. I, I don't care why you think that you've done too much evil to be, to be forgiven, whether, whether you, I don't care what reasons you have to be afraid that God won't, won't, uh, won't accept you or, or, or receive you. Look at the Pharisees. Look at the Pharisees. If they can be saved, so can you. Paul was a Pharisee who was a murderer and he was forgiven and saved and became a mighty man of God. Many of the, of the Pharisees go from heroes to villains to forgiven to saved. If you've given your life to Jesus but you still find yourself worried, you still find yourself worried that you're, you're just not good enough to be forgiven, you're just not feeling worthy enough for the, for the grace of God. That is a lie. Well, I guess kind of. I mean, in one sense, of yourself and of your own actions and behavior, you're not worthy, but that's irrelevant. That doesn't matter. All that matters is Jesus. All that matters is Jesus. If it's up to you, you're not worthy, but it's not up to you, it's up to Jesus. And and Jesus makes you worthy. He makes you worthy. He makes the Pharisee that is mocking him at the foot of the cross, but who later repents worthy. And if he will do that, if he will give, give grace for everything for the Pharisees, then he will definitely do that to you. Now, to be fair, the the Pharisees in Acts chapter 15, which I just started reading from, they, 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 don't, they don't have it all right. They, they're still struggling with legalism. 
They struggle with legalism in, in Acts chapter 15 and wanting people to follow the commands of Moses still. And, and, and that's, 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 that's not good gospel, but I love that. I love it that, they, that they're not perfect with it. They're, they're, they're saved, they're believers. They don't have perfect theology yet, but they're humbled themselves before Jesus and, and they're, they're moving forward from their starting point, which was high legalism, trying to learn about this thing called grace. If you've given your life to Jesus, praise God. Cherish the grace that you've been given. If you've not given your life to Jesus, great news, Jesus will joyfully forgive you of everything. If you humble yourself, and if you give your life to Jesus today, you will be forgiven and saved. And I want to encourage you, if you've not given your life to Jesus, to not wait any longer. In just a moment, we're going to give you a chance to, to be forgiven and saved. But before that happens, I, I want to just pray. I want to pray for us all. Father, I thank you for your amazing grace. God, I thank you for your mercy to anyone who will repent and give their lives to Jesus and be saved. God, we look to you. We need you. We're thankful for this gospel. And I'm thankful that you saved Pharisees and you still save them today. Thank you, in Jesus' name.